You know, let me ask you a question. When did you last make a list of people you wanted to pray for? Who were the first names that you wrote down on that list? I think most of us, we start with people we know and we love best, right? Spouses, children, other close family or relative, you know, friends, relatives. Obviously, right, we put people on the list that uh, they're either close to dying or maybe dealing with illness, whatever, right? And I think if we're honest, a lot of times I, when we, how we build our prayer lives is we kind of make little concentric circles, little outgoing circles with usually what's at the middle. Us, right? I mean, we put ourselves in the middle and we go to those that we love and those who get further and further away from us. And I, I think there's good to that, right? Um, you know, we, we pray for ourselves. We, we, pray, we pray with things that are plaguing us, our work, our stressors, our responsibilities, right? Yeah, I think when we read the Apostle Paul and what we heard here, Paul absolutely, and many of the other writers, they love to pray for those that are dear to them, right? We see it at the beginning. Those are family. Those are friends, and we know that from Scripture, but I think in this passage, Paul urges us that maybe we should start at the other end, that we should start on the outside and move our way in, that we should pray for those who hold the world together, right, together by their rule, their leadership, their authority. And I think for many Christians, and especially for those of us who grew up in more, have grown up in a Western society, a world, and we haven't really known a whole lot of like war in our life, although we, we know of war, but usually it's somewhere over there, right? Or we haven't dealt with some major civil you know, disturbances and, and disobediences. I think this, these requests that come from Paul here, they seem a little bit remote, do they not? They seem a little far away. You know, yeah, sure, we don't like what some of our rulers do or who our rulers are, right? Who's in the White House or who's in the Senate at the time or who's in a local politician that we may don't, maybe don't like. But most of us, I think if we're honest, at least in this country, I think, for the most part, we're satisfied with our democracy, are we not? Our system of government, etc. Now, we may not like parts of it, but you know, sure, we'd love our taxes maybe to be used a little bit differently, right? Or we'd like to be, we love the ability to vote people in and out every few years. But one thing we're not very eager to do is to what? To, to swap it for some other system, right? We're pretty happy with how things are. I mean, if we're honest, I think we are. Even when we like to complain, we probably wouldn't swap it for something worse. But the reality is, I think the things that bother us, how rarely... The people and the things that bother us in our government and the way things are, rarely do they drive us to our knees. Not to pray just for their removal or for their judgment, which if we do, I think that's often where we fall, right? We pray for the removal or the judgment to fall upon those that we don't agree with, especially if they're on the other side. But to pray, how often do we fall on our knees to pray for them specifically? to come before our God asking that he would guide them and lead them to create a better world for all of us to live in. Or better yet, praying for their very salvation and that they would acknowledge Jesus as king. I think we're quick to say we want to pray them out of office so we can move our person in so they can, the one that follows Jesus, but we don't, how often do we pray for those? When I think of Joe Biden, how often are we praying for his salvation? Or on the flip side, Trump, how many are praying for his salvation? 
How many are praying for the, the people that we disagree with to acknowledge Jesus as king? And I think many Christians who are reasonably content with, their, with you know, their country are tempted to think that praying for our leaders in our government is kind of a rather boring thing, maybe a very conformist thing to do. Better to pray them out of power than to pray them into the kingdom. But suppose you're like, like the Merits, who grew up in a communist country of Romania. Flip it around a little bit. Suppose you live in fear of worshiping. Day by day, you live in fear that you can't gather together like this to worship well, knowing that that knock at the door could come anytime and take family away. And the worst part of it is, is the government is all in on it. Wouldn't you be praying night and day for good, strong, wise, and just rulers who work together to hold back injustice and from the power grabbers from doing so. And heck, since I think if you go even further, we have info at our fingertips, right? We can get our phone out and within five minutes we know exactly what's going on on the other side of the world. So many of us right now have, a very, have somewhat a better idea of what's going on in a small little country in the Middle East right now than they do in their own country. They probably, I, I guarantee there's many of us in here that know more about what's going on right now in Israel than they do what's going on in Hunt County in our local elections. Think I'm wrong? I doubt it. How much more, even in that light of that, with that, those things within our grasp, should we not be praying for the good government on a worldwide scale? I think this is the train of thought that Paul is getting at, and this is where he's living in, in the moment, as he's writing this letter to Timothy, he's understanding exactly where the Jews were in the very first century. The people coming in, in Judaism in this Jewish Savior and learning how to conduct themselves in light of one who came and said, I am the king. I am the rightful one who is over all of these rulers. But these Jews, where were they? They'd suffered, Right? Under unjust rulers in nations, how long? For like a couple of years? No, for centuries. They had prayed over and over and over for God to overthrow the oppressive rulers, right? And to give them freedom, kind of like they did back in the Exodus, whenever God removed Pharaoh from power over them and sent them to their land. But here's the reality. If you read the Old Testament, the Jews had not only learned how to pray for that freedom, but they'd also learned what? A valuable lesson about how to conduct themselves while waiting for God to deliver. You know, I read this passage, it reminds me a lot of Jeremiah 29. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 29. And this is actually the precursor to one of probably one of the most famous Old Testament verses where God says, I know the plans I have for you, plans to bless and not curse and all these things. This is the precursor of what God is saying to his people. You know, the Jews, if you know the story, the Jews had what? They'd lost their kingdom. Why? Because they had largely turned away from Yahweh, God, and served other gods. They'd turned away and they weren't worshiping him well, and God had warned them, if you continue to do this, what will I do? I will kick you out of the land that I had given you, and I will remove your rule, and I will remove my presence. And that's exactly what had happened to these people. And they found themselves as they leave, they are kicked out of Israel. Where do they find themselves? In what country? 
or what, I guess, nation at the time? Where do they find themselves? In Babylon. They're in exile in Babylon. And these people were longing already for Babylon to be overthrown. Why? So they could what? Go home. So they could worship and be, they, they realized what they had lost, and they could go home and do what they were called to do. And I think in this situation is where we get chapter 29 of Jeremiah. The prophet speaks to them, he writes a letter to them, and look what he says in verses 4 through 7. He says, Yahweh, the leader of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says to all those he sent into exile to Babylon from Jerusalem. He says what to them? Get ready to come out? Hey, uh, I'm about to show up any day now, so have your, have your shoes on your feet and ready to go. Now, he said that one other time before. When did he say that? At the Exodus. But notice what he says here in exile to his people. He says, build houses and settle down. Plant gardens. When, wait, when do you plant gardens? When you're staying a while, when you've got some comfort, right? You don't plant a garden when you're leaving next week. You don't, you know, you're not about to sell your house and moving out next week somewhere else. And then, hey, I think I'll plant a garden while I'm waiting this week, right? You don't do that. God says, plant gardens. Why? Eat what they produce. In other words, don't just plant the seeds. Realize the seeds are going to come to fruition and eat it. Marry, have sons and daughters. Not just, that, not just this season. Now we're talking about multiple seasons. Not only that, find wives for your sons and allow your daughters to get married. Why? So you can have what? Grandchildren. Grow in number, do not dwindle away. In this situation, God, they are in exile in a nation that wants nothing to do with Yahweh, God. And God says to them, get comfortable. Why? You're going to be here for a while. And for most of you in this society, you're going to live there and you're also going to what? Die there. In other words, where's your grave going to be? In Jerusalem? In the Holy Land? In Babylon. Raise families, build houses, grow in number. And along comes verse 7, which is totally radical. Verse 7, this is, and this is, I love this, this is the verse that we use for, for the city, if you're familiar with that, they, this is their, their kind of, their verse that they use. He says what? Work to see that the city where I sent you as ac- exiles, what? Enjoys peace and prosperity. Wait a second. These people are godless haters of Yahweh, and Yahweh says, I want you to do what? Work so that who prospers? They prosper. Work that they may have peace. Settle down and be there for a while, and don't just separate yourselves and do your own thing, but work so that they may benefit. But not only that, pray to Yahweh for it, for Babylon. 
work while you're in exile, not to be removed. He doesn't say pray that you're going to be removed from exile, does he? Pray for Babylon. I'll take care of the part of the removal. I'll get that on my timing. You, however, work for the good of Babylon. You work to ensure peace and prosperity in your enemy's territory. But not only that, pray for Babylon. Pray that it would find peace. Why? Look at it. For as it prospers, what? You prosper. When you work for Babylon's peace and prosperity, you will find peace and prosperity as well. It sounds an awful, this sounds an awful lot like what? 1 Timothy chapter 2. Look at, the, look at the first two verses again. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. What does Paul say here? He says, first of all, then I urge that requests, prayers, and intercessions, and thanks. He didn't just say prayer. I mean, there's a lot going there. Requests, prayers, intercessions, and thanks be offered on behalf of all Christians, all believers, all people. Oh, man, even for the Joe Bidens. <sighs> even for the Donald Trumps. <sighs> even for whoever's coming. Watch out, Christopher. You're stepping on my toes. Watch it. Even for kings and all who are in authority. Why? that you, we may lead a peaceful and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. That sound familiar? Sounds not like, when we say I mean, the different God in the Old Testament, different God in the New Testament, I don't see a lot of difference. I see a lot of continuity. He says, such prayer for all is good and welcomed before God our Savior. I love that. Why? Since he wants who? All people. All people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And I think some are going to argue, but Christopher, shouldn't we be praying against secular rules and rulers, right? Aren't you just compromising? They exploit us, Christopher. They kill babies in the womb. They're after our children. These are wicked people and they should be thrown down. We shouldn't be praying for them. We should be praying for their removal. To which I say, in a sense, yes, they should. They should be removed. The wicked should be removed. There's a re one reason why Jesus came is to Break the powers of the rulers of evil. Amen? But it's God's timing and not ours. And I think God may bring prophets along to speak against those regimes. He has for the history of mankind prophets to come to speak directly to those rulers. But I believe for the ordinary people, us, the ordinary people, the what? It's better to go about one's business, to live at peace, 
to raise a family to be allowed to be to worship without insecurities or an unstable government in things around us to rule. Note what Paul says, right? For pray for all in authority because this is acceptable to God our savior. And here's the reality, church. And I say it, why do I say it again? Because we need to be reminded. I need to be reminded. There is only one Savior. And He does not reside on 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. He does not reside on Capitol Hill. And anyone in another country cannot come against Him. I don't care how powerful they are, there is one Savior, and that is who? One God and one intermediator between God and humanity, Jesus the Messiah. Himself human who gave himself as a ransom for all, revealing God's purpose at his appointed time. And I think this is interesting, however surprising it may seem, praying for those in authority, even if pagan and evil, will become part of God's plan of salvation. This is what Paul says, right? I, for this, for what? To have us praying for all of those in authority is why I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I'm not lying. I'm telling the truth. I'm telling you, this is it. And a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. I have been brought to bring the gospel and to pray for those. When rulers are doing their job, even if they do not acknowledge God, they create the peace and stability to allow God's people to worship freely and to allow them to raise families and communities that follow the way of holiness. And I think in particular, when the world is at peace, the gospel can spread all the more easily. And the reality is is that God wants what? All to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And I think, church, I think here's the reality. I think we love to think and we love to just tell ourselves that we are in a Christian nation. But I got to be honest. When I look around, I see that we are very, just as much today living in Babylon as exiles as the Jews were in their day. And I'll say this. I think the whore of Babylon is just as much in power today as she ever was. And I think in light of this, we need to pray. We need to pray knowing that what? That Jesus has overcome Babylon. That Jesus and we win in the end. Hallelujah. God will be praised. He wins in the end. Knowing that our Heavenly Father desires all people to be saved. Even those who drink of her wine. And so, that's what I'm going to call on us to do right now. I am going to call on us as a people to pray. And what I want us to do, I want us to take time to gather around. I don't care. You can mess the chairs up all you want. We've got little markers down. 
Move your chairs if you need to. I don't care. Get comfortable. Get on your knees if you're able to. And let us gather together to pray with each other. And I've got a few things. If you want, I've got a few things up here. Lest we think of, oh, I've only got one thing to pray about and we'll be done in a minute and a half. I think we can. Pray for our rulers. Pray for the federal rulers, those who are in Texas, those who are local. Right? we got an election coming up in two days. Pray for foreign rulers. China. Leaders in Ukraine. Leaders in Russia. Israel. How about praying for Hamas? That they may come to the knowledge of the truth. Take time to pray for the salvation of co-workers. Your neighbors. Pray for the salvation of family and friends. Bringing these circles in. Pray for our grace's family growth in Christ's likeness. And if there's, st- if there's still time, let's pray for our personal requests. But let us be a people of prayer. Amen? Because this, I love it, this is good and welcome before God, our Savior. So I'm going to pray now. I'll just kind of give you an idea where we're going. I'm not putting a timer up. Okay, we'll see how it goes. I'm not going to put a timer up, but let's pray. Let's, let's split up, and in, in a little bit, I'll pray to close us up. The band will come back up. We'll do our song, and we're going to take communion. We're going to celebrate in communion the very one. Verse 5 says, There is one God and one intermediary between God and humanity, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, revealing God's purpose at his appointed time. We are going to take of that communion and worship and remember our God and Savior, Jesus. Amen? Pray with me, and then we'll split.